Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackin and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's discussion from the Cloud 2030 April 22nd meeting was about blue sky thinking. We started with the idea of what should our infrastructure be? If we were going to get the perfect thing, the ideal thing, and then work backwards, uh, what would it look like? We were very focused in this discussion on, on home use. Uh, we did talk other industrial uses. And then we got into what components of our of the industry and the way we think about building technology impact um, what we get. And, and we got to some very interesting company town type uh, scenarios that are worth listening to. And it's important on, in how we got there. So enjoy this discussion. It was a really uh, insightful one. Hope you enjoy it. What's our conversation today? What's our, what are the topics today? The, the topic I was hoping to go into was, was do some blue sky thinking. So Mark and I were talking one-on-one -on -one about um, data center and, and edge. We were talking edge, of course, but um, we stopped and said, you know, we haven't really worked backward and said, what do we want data centers to look like? And so I, I thought it'd be fun to go, th go through and think, you know, instead of working from what we have and improving it, start with a blank sheet of paper and say, how, how should a data center look? Like how should infrastructure look? You're giving me a funny look, so I'm, I'm maybe I'm. Well, no, no, not, I, I, it begs a certain question. Okay. Uh, and that is, start, and let's not, you know, go down the rabbit hole too deeply. But what are you now going to consider a data center? Because uh, there are, you know, is that little mini data center living on the lights out living on the living on an edge is is that a data center and does it does it fall under the fall under this rubric or is there some is is there a is there a cutoff what no i i i would call it all infrastructure um from that like it infrastructure and I would, I would say, you know, from my perspective, it would be really cool if you could, you know, go to Best Buy, you know, and, you know, buy a, a hyper-converged hi, hyper lights out data center that you can plop into an office somewhere and. Or, or just add to your stack. Like, you know, I would love yeah. to see, um, and I, I hate, I'm not going to tie a company to it, but, um. You know, it, it would be really cool. Uh, actually, I will because the hive, the hive IO guys. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, their their the model they had was really interesting, right? They took a, a a a standardized unit. They they had feet on them that connected top to bottom, and you could just stack it up. And you know, mm -hmm. that was that that was as close to, and they got a lot of attention for it. Um, I think it's, it's a lot harder. I think it's a lot harder than they, <laughs> than it, than it. Yeah, well. but, but conceptually the idea that I could just take a, a unit from any vendor, right. Drop it into a stack or slide it into a slot and walk away from it. Um, 
which says that there's a lot of software personalization or customization. It's it's infrastructure is a lot of infrastructure as code that's involved. Yeah. So the other question that I would ask as a starting point is who are the constituents for whom you're making this description? Because everybody using this infrastructure that you're describing is has some slightly different jobs, has some different sets of what they think is important. If I talk about folks who are predominantly kind of dev and we're talking about dev driven kinds of, this is what the infrastructure, this is what the data center you have to work with uh, looks like. If they're predominantly ops, if they're business process, I mean, people, you know, who, for whom are we making this new blue sky definition, I guess is who's, Who's on the list that we that we talk to about this? Yeah, so this is kind of cloud as appliance. Yeah, what you're describing. And what does that and think about whose life does that affect and how? Well, so I have to ask the question is the one wide scope of the data center. I, I that, that to me was like just another one of these really narrowing things. If you're trying to figure out what the world looks like by 20 or 30, 2030, yeah. right? Well, why are we talking data centers? Exactly. The notion right. of a data center may not exist. Yeah. I would love yeah. for it not to exist. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Back to the bedroom yeah. closet with that stack. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I think your point is exactly the right one. And that is, um, if you're going to blue sky, I think you start with start with infrastructure and work backwards from that. And you have to think about the constituency, and then you have to think about the um, their respective requirements on this, where they depend upon it, what they depend upon. What do you mean by constituency? Like the the individual, the, the roles. I, I, you know, and I'm being I'm being too simplistic if I say more ops oriented, more dev oriented. Um, there's compliance. There are people who are going to be heavily involved with compliance. There is the business process. And there are the financial constituents, all of whom come at infrastructure and its role in the in the organization with a different set of priorities and looking for a different set of um, returns, making decisions about it. There's an interesting uh, question, Rocky. If you want to go, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, you need to. If, if this is a, a future thing, you need to broaden it out to, so what does the future look like? For consumers, it's smart world. Everything connected, everything 
just doing what they want it to be doing intelligently. And then there's the B2B. So there's a consumer, uh, then there's the B2C and B2B. And how does the world look to each of those groups? So out of the data center, you need to get out of the data center and be able to meld this world from data center to edge to device much more smoothly. And you it's essentially ubiquitous intelligence that you're looking for. Ubiquitous and the infrastructure and what does the infrastructure look like to create ubiquitous intelligence? Yeah, so I think what she's referring to is, is what I call operational intelligence, right? How do we get enough data about the operation systems to fully automate all of this? Yep. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, in 10 years, I don't see a lot of people operating systems. No. And that, that speaks to how you specify or declare, to use a loaded word, um, what you wanted to do and, you know, is this a, is this declarative by all of the, you know, by all of the participants, but yeah, but I think operational intelligence is the right way to think. about. It. I want to, I want to, cause the operations is a, is I think one of those interesting words. Do you consider people be operating like phones and PCs from that perspective, or they just own the PCs and then they don't they don't really have much operational thought. They're they're like they they operate the PC, but they're not spending a lot of time like an IT administrator would. And so I I guess when we talk about the the future of of well this infrastructure, I I agree with you. I think the operational experience needs to be zero. Or near near zero, but if you still own it. in ten years, why do you think there's a PC? Uh, there's an interface device. Yeah, and so actually, what I what I would expect is that, and uh, this is this is where it's unclear to me: is do we need to have you know op infrastructure? So, the, where I started this was, hey, I went to Best Buy. I needed more processing power or something because I wanted a new function, or I was, and I went and bought it, dropped it into my system, and now I have more processing power. That's not the interface. That's, I mean, maybe this the new definition of personal compute is, you know, is is actually a personal cluster, right? I have my own infrastructure. I'm attached to it. I've, I've all, you know, I own that. There are people who would say, you know what, you're never going to own infrastructure again. You're, you'll always be attached to, you know, somebody's nearby infrastructure and you're going to have, you know, a fold-out screen that nothing but a fold-out screen. It's all remote. I, remote to you. Pick 10 years out there, right? So let's assume we figured quantum computing out. Who needs a cluster? I, I wouldn't put quantum computing in that, in that list, interestingly enough. Why? If you if you have a computer that is a hundred thousand times more capable today, a processor, and let's just assume it's in your Xbox, 
<laughs> right? Because that's what consumers buy. They don't go out and say, I'm going to add another server to my cluster. I, I upgraded my Xbox and I've now got this, whatever it is, petaflop, exaflop, you know, CPU in here. I don't need to worry about how much horsepower I need anymore. And my Xbox now runs my house. So wait, that's, that's a pretty likely let's... scenario. Okay, hold on. So there's you and I are on different assumptions that are worth questioning um, okay. from that perspective. Because I, I got distracted when you said quantum, and that's not the that's not where I'm interp where where you went. What you're what you're suggesting is people are going to buy a box, right? That box is going they're going to have a primary function for the box, and then they they'll add attach other things to the box, and ten years from now that box will just be powerful enough to do whatever they need. So the way things are going to work is they're going to take the old box they had that they've outgrown, hand it off to somebody else, go buy a new better box, plug that in, and that's that's going to be the upgrade process. Right. My, my assumption has been that we would stack additional capacity into an environment. Like we would preserve, you would say, all right, I've got this capacity not throwing away the Xbox, I am adding a, you know, a sister system to that, that Xbox so that it became more powerful. And I could, you know, I could hook it up to my home security system. And now that Xbox would also monitor my video, my video feeds. I, I think um, it, it, it's a, um, it's whether a it's a replacer or my, my kid got my, my old version, I got my new version, right? They can coexist, but think about home automation right now, right? You, you buy some form of home automation um, hub that you drop into your house, and it's going to then manage your devices. Why? Because the, the average consumer, and, and, and I believe this is true for business, is not going to have 10 or 20 of these things that they need to learn how to manage. They're going to want one, right? Just like we're talking about centralized versus decentralized. I want the simple solution, not the complex one. And so, you know, you're going you're gonna to side towards simplicity over complexity. You know, and as the number of devices in the home increases, which it will radically, right? You're going to want some hub that manages that stuff. And I just proxy out there. The most likely one is the one that consumers will buy for um, entertainment, right? Whether it is your, your Roku box or it is your Xbox, right? Something's going to become the smart hub that manages those devices in the house, right? Uh, and, and by the way, that's... Setting on it. <laughs> And that, by the way, is your new data center. And it actually is, is, in American culture, it's replaceable because American culture is throwaway. So you take the old one out that's not good enough. And like John said, you give it to your kid. So now you've actually got two different hubs in the house and the kid's running one and uh, the parents are running one. But uh, it's... In American culture, it's replaceable. In possibly Chinese Asian culture, it is add-on. Nothing gets thrown out. But until we change the throwaway culture uh, in the home, it's you buy the new thing, you plug it in, and oh look, honey, it does this too now. So and in I, the past, a, people important. used to say it was going to be the refrigerator. And then it was the TV, and now it's the Xbox. <laughs> but my dishwasher talks to me now. 
<laughs> but does it say anything really profound? Or does it just sound like your wife? Ooh, did I say that out loud? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> nah, she doesn't worry. She doesn't worry about that. <laughs> the dishwasher? <laughs> Saying things out loud. <laughs> did I think that? There's, there's no over there. <laughs> um, the... I, I, I think that the replacement culture is actually an interesting factor in all this stuff. I think that, you know, we do, it, American culture has a tendency to silo into vendors in ways where we don't collaborate across vendors, but we say, oh yeah, oops, I, I'm subscribed to the Apple universe and therefore I'm going to buy stuff that only fits in the Apple universe. Mm -hmm. um, and why wouldn't that be extended to exactly the environment you've, you've just chosen to describe. Especially in just 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if I, used if to I be, was going to be the Cisco, it used to be the Cisco and, and the Juniper cultures when you were talking about your networking environment, your networking infrastructure. First, yeah, you know, they're, make me they're, so sad. Yeah, I agree. I, the, the problem is I think you're right. And that makes me really sad because I, right. I, I came back and I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm listening to y'all and I'm like, how do we create a Jevons paradox for, you know, the consumption of this infrastructure? The thing that's missing is there isn't, there isn't really a Jevons paradox going on at the moment for these, these blue sky infrastructures. Well, let me make two, I'll, I'll throw two things out there. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll put a couple things in here. When you think about edge, right, I, I really look at edge as a non-existent um, thing. Um, I think that there is a mass explosion of devices on the enterprise side and on the consumer side, and that's the edge, which is how I kind of get to why, you know, a building or some physical location will eventually be complex enough that it becomes the data center. And as we get enough of those things joined together, right, do we really still need centralized compute, right? It's possible 10 years from now, AWS is something we used to use because I can fire up whatever I need inside of my home or inside of my enterprise without having to rely on a third party. So I'll throw that out as, as one premise. The, the second premise I'll throw out is do software engineers or operations teams the way we think of today still exist in 10 years? And, and I'll throw out, I don't think they do. Because I think we're too old and too slow to keep up with the pace of technology. I think something better will come along and, and replace it. Because as we've been saying, the skill sets can't keep up. And so sooner or later, something is going to... If you're still trying to write code or still operate things the way we used to 20 years ago, what makes you think that's the way we're going to do things in another 10 years? So I think that people should be prepared for kind of a seismic shift in the way we create technology in 10 years. I think a lot of stuff we do today will no longer be relevant. I want to push back on one of John's uh, premises, and that is... Uh, enough power that is decentralized and that is true that's what we're 
heading for, and lots of people want to head for that, but large corporations, including ones like Google and Amazon, are going to push back because they don't care if they're actually doing the compute, but they want to collect all the data. And so they're going to come up with excuses not to disconnect from their centralized compute facilities. We've already crossed that mode, right? It's it's bring your own device. It's We've built the system that allow you to collect it. They're they're becoming more and more reliant on their employees bringing their devices. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's about data collection. There may be data processing, the volume which still requires some central processing. But I just look at. I talked to a company yesterday. It's about to do an IPO, and and they can't still efficiently roll out data centers to meet their business demands. That's not scalable. That's, that's not something that's going to continue into the future. So I look at these things If every organization is working on systems that don't meet the fundamental business problems they're trying to solve. And I don't believe that it's just going to continue going forward that way. Oh, boy. I... And, and the fight's going yeah, to be where that data gets routed once it gets through the, the where it's at the edge. It's the, it's the, um, right to repair kind of thing too. It's the companies who don't want to relinquish control over the devices they're selling because they want the information that's put onto those devices to come back for their processing. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I'm just, I'm trying to push this out there a bit and, and say, you know, think about what fun, we're working from our known constructs, right? What if those are bad assumptions? What? Well, can I, I don't ask think you? they're bad assumptions, but there's a tension between the decentralized and the, the centralized being that there's a lot of value in owning the data. And so you have to find some way to get the data back to your company, even if the devices are all scattered all over the, the compute is all scattered all over the place. The key is sucking the data back. For some of those but, companies, but this is but this is where I would push and say, we're we need we're not we're not going blue sky from the perspective right here, John. You're you're right. Today, it is very hard for companies to distribute that information technology. You know, right there, those are those are those are hard challenges. If it was solved, if you're like, look, I just want to be able to, you know, FedEx. Um, gear to a location and turn it on or have my local person go to the hardware store and pick it up and turn and drop it in and and build basically build my data center that way my sorry my infrastructure that way and not not have to worry so much about the vendor and all those things and then that's transformative right you're talking about somebody who can't deploy their business plans because they can't get infrastructure in the places they need it to be Instead, you know, what if we solve that problem? Is that, you know, what if we made it where? Yeah, I think someone's going someone's to solve that problem. If you had to guess, or if you had to just take a kind of almost an emotional feel point of view, who do you see today that offers up the experience that you're talking about or the the environment they kind of the ux 
that you're you're talking about. Um, that arguably in ten years of their philosophy or their product development roadmap kind of embraced this notion. Who would you see as being the candidates to today who could pull something like this off? I mean, are we talking about VMware suddenly becoming more uh, more declarative and more uh, available to you know small business and and the opera you know kind of the re the no no operations kind of situation I, i'm just asking who who has even the a clue at this point in your mind well i'm not sure that they have clues but i think the question is who's most likely okay. uh, to be in a position to um pull off that right mm-hmm. um and, and, you know, if I'm thinking 10 years down the road, I tend to think of VMware um, like I used to think about, you know, things that when, when I got my Windows box, I didn't have a screen capture. So I went out and bought Snagit, right? I, I hate to say this. I put VMware in the category of Snagit 10 years down the road. Is that something Microsoft incorporated into their platform or was that a core capability? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think about players that are trusted inside of the enterprise and inside of the home. And I think about the vehicles that they use to get inside of that. Right. Which is why I went down, you know, hey, look, game consoles are becoming pretty ubiquitous inside of households. Right. Um, you know, platforms like Microsoft are pretty ubiquitous inside of enterprises. So who's most likely to be able to pull that off? And I think it's, it's people that have existed, trusted relationships into it. Okay. Um, so. And- and yep. are we are we being a little provincial by um, limiting it today to only what are considered prim- primarily technology companies as opposed to other sources of services that we rely on and depend on? Could it be, yes. for example, built around financial services or some some other group? Hmm. Yeah, it could. I mean, I'm, I, I, you said who today, and so I went to my first, mm-hmm. you know, um, certainly uh, uh, whatever word it is, it's biased um, opinion of who today might be that person. Will there be someone that comes along and displaces that person in the future? Maybe. Is sure. it coming from a totally different field? Maybe. Um, I can tell you who I think it's not. It's not my telco. It's not my power company. Right, they move like dinosaurs. <laughs> I would, but but is there a call for somebody just to, to not put companies in the middle of it and make it infrastructure back that you would that individuals or businesses would just own? Well, I, I mean, think people it. buy people buy PCs. They don't rent them and lease them. Uh, right to repair. The it's lease. The companies that are building them are trying to turn them into essentially leases because you can't fix them. You have to have our company fix them. John Deere, Apple, those folks. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and that's, that's part of the tension in this whole thing. It's the blue sky is that we all own them and they just work. And 
if they break, we just either trade them in if we're a disposable society or we just pay somebody to get them back working again, but not necessarily who we bought them from. But huh. oh, that's uh, interesting. I, I've been working towards a, a premise of silicon and PCBs becoming cheaper, more powerful and cheaper. Um, not towards actually having longevity and um, and increased costs. But some of what you're describing, when I think about it, if if you can, you know, we and and it's funny because I don't think this has been true. The price of laptops, while they get more powerful, has been like flatlined at a certain amount. Um, they're starting to go up again. Then there, well, there's shortages now of of silicon and, and things like that. Um, and the silicon's not getting much now. faster, so it's there's there's really not that much advantage, right? You could run a, a machine for a lot longer than we typically do, because um, frankly, there's there really isn't that much difference between a five year old being maybe power consumption and some performance number of cores. Well. There, there is the, the limitation on a solid state uh, disk in that mm -hmm. you only get so many read, so many writes. Can read it forever, but only so many writes. So you do have limitations there at the moment that would likely go away sometime in the future when they figure out a better way to do solid state than silicon. But well, that. Not necessarily. Planned obsolescence plays a big role there. Yeah. You know, it, 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 every time I change out one of my LED light bulbs, I'm reminded of that. <laughs> yeah, I've got some some young fail light bulbs, too. And, and there seem to be certain makers that are worse than others. <laughs> but our uh, friend Surface literally yesterday he said is the network working and i went and i looked at his stuff and it appears that either the uh, marvel network uh system within the surface died or mm. the firmware has died but geez how do you fix that you can't <laughs> obsolescence <laughs> Well, there's a certain minimum unit, right? I mean, Intel, the reason, you know, Intel came out with those nooks, which they thought were basically the next unit of compute. They thought that what I was describing, they built, what, five years ago as as a you know, little box, stack them up, plug in the networks and go. Um, and those things were not manageable at all, by the way. <laughs> Manageability <laughs> on them was poor. But... Um, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, see, you know, and then what Chick-fil-A famously did their seven nook or their nook cluster for the Kubernetes stuff, um, which, you know, I would still love anybody to show up with an update on that stuff. I haven't seen anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the, one of the core questions to me on the blue sky thinking is, is, you know, is the blue sky here that you don't own infrastructure that you end up with basically a thin screen and 
you know, uh, you know, the large, large majority of people just completely turn over all of the, those IT requests that are all those IT actions to nearby compute. But, right. The blue sky would be, Hey, you know what? I, my house is just a big Wi-Fi zone. I plug in a camera. I connect it up to my local. No, it, it's more like in, in 10 years, it's more like what John said. They, there will be uh, central boxes, your Xbox, and depending upon the companies, uh, it will talk to other things in the house, depending upon contractual agreements and whatnot. And so you will have a large compute in the home that's not as large as data centers. It'll be distributed, but you won't be able to actually do more than some basic configurations of it, basic personalization. And the rest of it will be remote uh, controlled and stuff, especially with the way security is going. We're not going to have a solution to security in 10 years. Well, so I, I would right. offer up a contrary viewpoint, which is um, that, so what, what you're saying, I, I think is going to be correct in some areas, but in others it isn't. And one of the biggest things is the um, revenue drivers uh, for gaming, that there's just a, a huge amount of money to be made with um, with gaming. Now that's, you know, uh, uh, you know, Xboxes and Playstations, but also PCs. I mean, there are billions of dollars that are being made with custom built PCs with for gaming. And all, all people that are serious in the gaming, they tend to build their own PCs. My kids have built their own PCs, right? Maybe I'm an outlier, but we know that that's a significant market. Uh, so there are going to be segments where you, you can you see that that customization, uh, right to repair, ownership. Um, but then other areas, it'll be like what you said, Rocky, where uh, where you don't own the infrastructure, it all becomes a service. It's interesting to me that it seems like the smartphone industry is still kind of an ownership model. I mean, but they buttoned it up to the point where, you know, you can't replace batteries using external storage as a pain, um, you, you know, repair at versus replace, you know, the upgrade cycles, planned obsolescence, all of that. It's almost like there's no distinction between the lease or ownership model in the cell phone business. It's, they've kind of both gone, both models end up at the same endpoint. True. Yeah. Good point. How, 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 much, of a, how much of a lesson do we, oh, sorry, John, go ahead. No, my, my only point was, is that I, I think um, I, I, I mentioned Xbox only because, you know, what's probably the most powerful processor in your house these days. And if 10 years down the road, you know, they probably don't need to go build a special purpose device to, to satisfy, you know, the hardcore gamers. Um, but I would say that, you know, the hardcore gamers are not a big enough marketplace to, to drive a change. 
you know, when we looked at AR and VR and all the other sides, that there just wasn't enough of them. You know, the average gamer isn't that. They're not going to go build a, a $10,000 gaming box, right? There's a pretty finite number of people that will go build that custom hardware. Mm -hmm. so, but Interest, Interestingly, though, they're putting you know, very expensive chips into those systems to play games that are also machine learning chips. And, and the fact that you, you've got, to me, there's, there's an element of, wait a second, I just put, you know, a, a hard to find machine learning capable chip into a, a, something that's turned off, you know, 20 hours a day from that use case. Maybe I'm being overly generous to people's gaming attention span, but, um, or under generous, but the idea that I've got, you know, GPUs sitting around. I mean, I, my most expensive graphics card is on my my gaming system, and you know when it's not in use, it you know that's an expensive piece of silicon that's that could be actually doing, you know, analytics on environments or machine learning on on infrastructure in my house if it was accessible. But that's why I go back to like thinking ten years down the road, right? What what your data center is? There, there's so much compute capacity that's going to be deployed inside of enterprises and inside of consumers 10 years from now, right? How, how much of that allows the, the shift back towards decentralized computing, right? So I, I just, when you think about, you start this conversation around data centers and I go like, well, we, we may completely rethink that 10 years from now. Well, can I, uh, to me, can I start a, thread on just a thought, Rob, um, think about ways in which companies move into buildings and the way they're in-house, they're now, their infrastructure, their IT infrastructure is being delivered. More often than not, you go into a new building, go into the Salesforce building in San Francisco or any kind of class A real estate today. And in the building itself, they have built a, a stack that's heavily locked down that allows one to go straight to kind of meeting points on the network or you know, you can go straight to AWS, not through, not through the internet. They've used that local infrastructure, not just for uh, the, the tenants, but actually the building owner. They use it for uh, access controls to the building, control the elevator, HVA, HVAC, lighting, all these other things. And when you move into a space, the tenant gets, you know, a, a reasonably standard package, which almost immediately allows them to plug in and go Wi-Fi, LAN, VPNs where they want them. And it takes less than, less than a week to get it all set up. Yeah. Whereas before, if I moved into even the high class business, high class building, I had to get all of my 
specifics provisioned. It was a very, very different situation. If we're learning anything about our, the environments that we're moving into or living in that are to some degree prepackaged with a lot of this. And it doesn't get built on the notion of data centers per se, but actually kind of a, a, a deconstruction of what used to go into a data center where certain types of capacity actually belongs to the facility that you live in and is built into the facility you live in. Yeah. I'm I'm going to I'm going to actually say that's that's quite likely to be one of the paths that it's going to happen. If for no other reason then you're going to have a lot more density in the way in the way people live. They're going to live in more in very often uh um, multi, multi-dwelling units. They're going to they're going to consolidate around a, a some sort of a of a common core where the the scale is such that that building could uh, actually afford and and needs to afford a, a it's a kind of a an attached infrastructure portion of the infrastructure. Yeah, it's actually kind of likely, right? I mean, so because the margins on, on commercial real estate are pretty thin. So how do you augment your margins? You, you put a Microsoft stack in and heck it up. I went to that building because they're an Apple building. This is a Microsoft building. I think you extended one more layer out though. I went, to this, I went to this building because I, I had a better... Uh, a better uh, better access to Azure as opposed to GCP. That, that's not as unrealistic as you might think. No, I, I think it extends out one more layer though, which I think it extends out to metros. I completely agree. So that's a starting place for blue skies that I think we haven't talked about. Wow, like don't you think affiliate infrastructure below city? Rob's infrastructure? <laughs> but, but don't you think that the uh, the pandemic has changed that dynamic with work from anywhere? That w we might actually see the opposite happen, where where we you know see a migration of people f away from cities. Right. There's there's no reason to think that we're not going to see that as well, but where you have concentrations of people, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a satellite kind of the new suburbs, whether it's the um, the urban environment where you're you do have buildings that in fact house a, you know, a number of different people, and you know you can extend it. I, I completely agree with you about Tyler, about the, the fact that there are going to be real demographic changes and they will, they will need to be accommodated. But I'm just saying, sorry. Yeah. But the reality is, I think Rich, is if, if, if you, if your headquarters is a Microsoft building, the odds are your home stack is a Microsoft building. So I don't think they're different. I just think it affects the selection you make. And I, I think Rob is a, Rob is a. Oh, you're that, 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 I, the, the 
challenge here is that I, I feel like you're right. And, uh, and it, uh, right. I think you have a potential to be right. And I'm terrified of that outcome. <laughs> yeah. At the same time. I, I, with good reason, but I, I, you know, I think John's actually stated it almost, almost to the, to the point where you are going to find these kinds of, it used to be the case if you, when I grew up in New Mexico, there were certain communities where if you bought a Ford product, you were an outcast. You had to buy a General Motors and it had to be a Chevy, right? But, yeah, I mean, there, there was a time in the early days of electrification of the country, right? You had competing standards. And what John is describing is exactly the way it was. You could be in Edison, I think it was Edison town or... Uh, General Electric, and and in those cases, it was like different current, right? AC versus DC, different plugs. The appliances didn't work. Like it was, it was a mess, and it was not, you know. Um, and you know, like and these companies competed to to take that kind of monopolization of that of that that unit in order to establish kind of you know dominance i don't see why it's not going to happen in exactly the situation it's, we're discussing it is happening yeah, yeah and that, that could even be accelerated by the um politicization of corporate america where you see um <laughs> political parties boycotting other parties so it's like now not only are we a ford shop well ford came out against our guy and that and, you know it, it you're right, Rob. It's kind of frightening. It, and yeah. it could be that it's a phase that we move through while we figure this stuff out. Part of, part of, and maybe the blue sky thinking that that we're all hinting at to me is that we still actually don't know how to operate this tech particularly well, and that is part of the reason why it's it's like this and even we discuss it like this is that we have this baked in assumption that you can't drop in you know a hp system next to a mac system and have them interact and share data and, and collaborate and, and i think that that's we've gotten used to that i think our our economic turn systems are baked into that turn, or turn actually, that turn that observation around rob and yeah what would be what would be the one either interoperability or interworking standard approach that would make the difference? Well, I don't know if it's interoperability, right? I, I, I plug in my um, Vizio surround sound system and it finds my Vizio TV and automatically connects it, right? It's, it's homogeneous, not heterogeneous. It solves the problem. Right. And, and that's why I think it's kind of natural to think about what are the, you know, what's my biggest purchase of my house? Is it my TV? Is my game box? Right. That, that's where the dollars are. And I think if you're looking at homogeneous as being the easiest, easiest way to do it, kind of follow the dollars. But I, I would bear out, I got like two minutes left. I, I think the other piece, other side of this is we, we have a system going on today that's unsustainable, right? You can't have almost 90% of IT projects failing and assume that's going to continue on in the next 10 years. 
Right. That that's going to get fixed, and that's going to be a, a pretty seismic change in how we approach software. And we haven't really talked about that. That's true. That sounds like a topic for next week. I would love to go through, and this I think is a Tim Crawford special topic. But why why ninety percent of of IT projects are failing? Oh. It's not the technology. I'll give you a hint. It's it's one piece. Yeah, well, it's, it's, we, 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 we triangle, but I would argue that that the technology is least impactful with respect to the people of process. <laughs> Hold on, I was meant to be a bookmark, not an opening. So, um, hey, sorry, I can help myself. No, I, I, I understand. I should. I should multifaceted process. As we uh, say, not a crossing. It's the loose nut behind the wheel that is the weak point. Well said. And with that, everybody, thank you. As I actually, I think we got we got some guys to, to thinking. I, I got to run. Soon. Yeah. No, it's time. I, Thanks, everyone. I don't know about you, but living in a Amazon town uh, feels terrifying and potentially very, very close. Um, so I just build all my buildings around whatever the Amazon warehouse is. And, and Alexa will just hear me over the speaker system. Um, if these are interesting topics to you or scary topics to you, please join us at the 2030.cloud uh, and be part of the discussion. We want to hear from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.